popular great you're being faithful and if you know if sometimes you're on to something before others are and you become the leader instead of it's better than trying to catch up and say me too me too i agree with everything you say be bold There, this is Doug Servant. I'm one of the hosts for iHeartPCA, a podcast that we're doing in season two now. And we're talking about what's good and right and awesome, mostly in our denomination, Presbyterian Church in America. And uh, I have a co-host. I I can see his beautiful, beheaded, beheaded head. And uh, he's not beheaded. That would be totally different, wouldn't it? <laughs> beheaded head. And uh, so, Justin, hey, what's up? What's up, Doug? How you doing? Where, where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Albuquerque, man. How about you? Like usual. Yeah. I'm still in Birmingham visiting my daughter. So um, I'm sitting in front of a white wall like you are. Yeah, and, uh, white walls rule. Don't have very exciting views. I wanted to ask you today... Uh, I want you to name me a uh, past era and a modern era favorite tennis player. We have someone on our podcast who cares about this very sport who may be able to weigh in on his or her opinion. And uh, so, so Justin, give me a couple of your faves. So uh, I don't know what she, if what exactly qualifies as past era, but I, my two favorite tennis players of all time are McEnroe and Agassi. And I was actually a pretty huge fan of both growing up. Um, Andre was particularly, uh, I, I just loved everything about his style and game. I was a college student, young adult when he was, you know, big and famous and, so uh, loved both of them a lot. I don't watch much tennis anymore, to be quite frank. Uh, maybe it's because the Americans stink so bad at tennis right now, at least on the men's side. Um, but I guess I like uh, Djokovic, okay? I'm not really, I don't really like him personally, but he's obviously such a good player. What about you, Doug? Well, as chance would have it though i was gonna say the exact same too oh make a very well, interesting conversation though so yeah, uh I, I think it's more interesting in my opinion to watch the women i mean they are very powerful but man the men just hit it so hard it's it's different so i like it when they're doing uh they're on a surface where it's not quite as fast yeah i played tennis uh for two years in high school and the only thing i could do was serve 
And if that didn't go over, I was done. That's yeah. not a very effective tennis game right there, right? If they could hit it back, it was almost just point over for me. That's not good. I, I was the exact opposite. I was an awful, I was, my service game was pretty awful. Lots of double faults, um, but was good with the return return game. I like to play uh, the baseline out and mm. you know work my return. I used to t- uh, sneak off campus at Liberty University on Wednesday nights to play tennis. Like we had to get off by like five o'clock or they locked the gate on you for, cause you had to go to church on Wednesday nights. But if you got off before five, you were free and you could skip going to Wednesday night church. So me and my buddies would get off and we would, that's what we would do on Wednesday night. We would get off campus and go play tennis. When I was in high school, we got a new tennis coach my senior year. He, he was a football coach. He played football at Texas A&M. And so he, the very first practice, he didn't know anything about tennis, but he started making us run high knees and do push-ups. And so the second day we said, coach, we're not doing all that. We come out here, take our shirts off, play tennis for 30 minutes and go home. That's what practice is. And he was like, okay, it's even better for me. I get paid the same amount no matter what. That's awesome. So mm. you can see how the skills were not exactly developed. Right. Over time. And that brings us to our guest, who I think could weigh in on this topic for a while. We have with us Dr. Daniel Doriani, who was one of my professors at Covenant Theological Seminary, one of my favorite professors, I'll say. I say that to all of them when they're on the podcast, but this is especially true. So we're so glad to see you, Dan. I'm not going to call you Dr. Doriani anymore, although it's ingrained in my brain to do that. So we're, we're so glad to see you tell everybody where you're calling from and, and, and have at it with tennis for a couple minutes. Yeah. I'm uh, good to be with you, Doug. You know, I, I love to hang out with you. You're a very interesting guy. And Justin, good to be with you as well. I'm in St. Louis. I'm in my little dark, small office staring at a pale, I don't even know if it's beige or ultra pale green office. And I certainly can weigh in on tennis. So real quick, you ready? McEnroe, you can't love McEnroe because he didn't enjoy it. He, he would win and he was miserable. You cannot admire that. Andre Agassi was tremendously admirable for two reasons. Number one, he played his best tennis after the age of 30, even though he was very slow for a tennis player at his level. That's true. He figured out how to overcome age and relative. And of course, he was faster than almost anybody. But usually they're lightning fast, and he was not. Uh, but my guy is uh, is Federer. I know it's an easy call, and part of it is because of the sheer joy. He just enjoys playing, and you know now he's forty years old now, and he goes, "Yeah, you know, I'm still having fun out here." I, you know, <clears throat> I may have lost this guy would have crushed eleven years ago, but it was fun, hmm. and his uh, his hand eye and bodily self control is just otherworldly just it's freakish the stuff he can do um so i i'm a fan of federer because of god just gave him gifts and so whether he knows it or not i'm not sure um and he takes joy in it which i think is sports should should be joyful done some well we know we almost always ask people how they got in the pca so why don't you just walk us through the steps of your entry into this denomination and what you've done in it because you've had various roles and you've come in and and out and it's always been connected for a while. 
Yeah, yeah, right. Sure. So uh, the, on, the best answer is probably to say I joined the PCA because God called me to himself sovereignly and did that by giving me exposure to the content of the Bible when I was young and going to church as an unbeliever. And then I went to a college, Geneva College near Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania, that's Reformed Presbyterian, not PCA. And there I met a number of uh, intelligent, friendly, uh, funny Christian people who had a, who had beautiful lives. And that was persuasive. That's the way God moved me from believing the theology and is probably true. And Jesus probably died on the cross, but I don't really care mode and God probably exists, but it doesn't make any difference of my youth to uh, saying, you know, this is real, this is genuine. And most of the Christians there actually were not Presbyterian. Most of them were sort of broadly evangelical. And I became Presbyterian by reading the book of Romans. Mm -hmm. I was reading Romans carefully. And when I got to Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11, and 12, I just said, well, this Calvinism is correct, number one, and the, you know, the holistic world life view that was presented beautifully at that college is also correct. I mean, God wants not just our soul, but our body, right? Let's be transformed by the renewing of your mind, part two, but part one is present your bodies as living sacrifices, which means the whole of life. So that gave, I was Presbyterian, we might say, or Reformed is more like it. I wasn't really familiar with Presbyterianism. And then I was in Presbyterian circles. Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America first. That's where I went to church because it was there. That was the church. That was the set, that was the school. But they were a little, um, they had some idiosyncrasies like, you know, you can't sing hymns in worship, only psalms, et cetera, that I didn't think was biblical. And then I was in the OPC just by chance, and I thought, these people are kind of insular. And then I met the PCA, and I thought, okay, it's got all the right theology, and then the sort of outward facing toward the world. And I thought, that's, that's the place that I think is, uh, it's not just for me. I think it's, you know, as I read the Bible, it's best. Hmm. It's closest to the Bible, with no illusions that the PCA is perfect. Uh, so that's how I got into the PCA. And... I wanted to be a Christian philosopher after I became a Christian in college. And so I thought, well, to be a good philosopher, you need to be acquainted with theology. So I should go to seminary for a year. And then I got the idea that if you go to seminary for a year, it'd be best if you knew some Greek and Hebrew and get the most out of that year. So I taught myself Greek after I finished college. And then in a almost insane move, I took a crash course in Hebrew right after I got married while working full-time and so I went to seminary with those under my belt and I'll just say people nudged me to theological education they said do you really want to be a philosopher the church needs pastors Hmm. um and it needs professors and so we think maybe you should be one and and they, they were very respectable people they were people I could really listen to and say uh they know what's going on in the world and they care about me and so I need to pay attention to their counsel I ended up getting a PhD shortly after my M, you know, relatively shortly after my MDiv. I went to Westminster, great school, great seminary, but the difficulty at Westminster was that almost none of the profs had any pastoral experience. And if they did, it was a little bit a long time ago. So I thought, yeah, that's not right. I don't want 
my pilot to be trained by somebody who never flew a plane, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want my surgeon to be trained by somebody who never operated. So seminary profs should have been pastors. That was a very deep conviction I've shared with friends of mine, including a, a man reasonably well-known in the PCA, Mark Fiutato, and some others. And we kind of all agreed to do that. So I was a pastor for a while, and then I became a professor at Geneva College, oddly enough, in my, early, in my 30s, where I was a tennis coach for two years, and we had a winning record both years. Hooray. Nice. Did you make and, a practice more than 30 minutes? Uh, we did. We practiced oh, an hour and a half because uh, I did actually know how to play tennis. Here's how I, here's how I got to be the tennis coach. I, I beat the number two guy in the tennis team that just pick up. And he ran to the AD and said, we found our tennis coach because the tennis coach like you, Doug, had never played tennis. And they go, we're done with this guy. We want we want Doriana to be our coach because he I actually knows. You, uh, I don't know. I was at Geneva College four or five, six weeks ago and texted yeah. you. Uh, it's a beautiful place. Wow. It is nice. Uh, yes. You grew That's up nice. around there in that east? Uh, yes and no. I, I, I was born in New York City and I finished high school in North Carolina, but I actually grew up in, in Punxsutawney, you know, Groundhog Day. Yes. Yeah. So that was, that was obviously weird. Anyway, uh, so after that, I became a professor at, at Covenant Seminary. When did and, you start at Covenant? I started in 91. 30 years wow. ago. And I how told, old were you when you started? I was 14 years old. <laughs> you must have been low 30s. You must have been 30. Uh, no, I was 37, actually. 37? Yeah. And I started at, in 97. So you'd been there six years and you were my six-week Greek. Yeah. Professor. And, you know, six-week Greek is something. But it's kind of awesome. That? I mean, I thought it was pretty awesome because you get immersed in it more and people used to call it suicide Greek, but actually the success rate was higher than the other because that's all you were doing. You also made friends, didn't you? Yeah. You know, and so I, I had been studying and prepping. I knew that I could not just go in. So I had a 500 vocabulary words, which, right. which sounds like so much that it gets burned in a week. But, you know, at least you have a week, right? And right. it wasn't like they were just rolling all the ones I knew. So I had this, and I remember there was one guy in our class, and he and his wife both took six-week Greek, and it was his second career. So he was probably 55. They were both 55. He'd been working at Walmart for 30 years. He came in, he didn't know one word. Yeah. And she took to it way better than it's so like their marriage was on the rocks for six weeks. And we just tried to pull him along as best yeah. we could because it was a group effort. Yes, it was. And boy, that's the beauty of, of going. I'm not against online education, of course, but the beauty of in the presence of one another on oh. campus education is that the best students learn better because they're coaching the lesser students. Right. Yeah. When you bring that other guy along, you're actually solidifying what you know. Yeah. So you're growing by helping your friends and your friends are growing through the help you give them. And then you become friends. Nothing could be better. Let me tell you one other story about that exact semester was that was the, that was the year Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were hitting home right. runs. Yeah. And so Brad Anderson, Brad Anderson and I, and every day in class, it's like, is he going to do it? When's he going to do it? Right. So we just bought every ticket for September because it's going to be the end of the year. And so 
in my first semester of seminary, I've got two kids just moved there and I'm learning Greek in baseball games. I almost didn't, my marriage almost didn't survive. My Greek yeah. almost didn't survive, but I was there to the end. I saw a lot of home runs, including yeah. number 69 and 70. It was awesome. I would never change it in a million years. Did you, uh, did you take your cards, Doug? To yeah, the, take my cards and study. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. During those breaks between pitches, it lasts a minute and a half. Yeah. Okay, so you ended up at Covenant in '91, and to tell us some of your favorite classes that you taught, or you know, topics. This, this is a this is a dirty answer, but here it's the truth. I liked every class I taught. <laughs> And the classes I liked the most were the ones with the most interesting and interactive students. Hmm. So it's kind of like, I don't, just to stick with sports, I don't have a favorite sports team in any area. I just like sports teams that play really well. So when Nash was with the Suns, I wanted to watch the Suns. When, you know, the Warriors were in their heyday, I want to watch the Warriors and so on. I just want to watch beauty. I wanted to watch Peyton Manning throw a football, et cetera. So I don't like a class. I like the students in the class. And if a class is lively and bright. What makes good students? Well, uh, they're smart and they care. And they know what they're doing. Which doesn't mean everybody has to know that they want to be a pastor. But they, they're not just like, oh, I think I'll take a course. They're, they have a reason. And they have the ability to do the work. And they, uh, they have a passion for it. And some idea that it's good to talk about this and to care about it. If you disagree with the prof, find a way to say it politely, let's say, and if you want to hash things out uh, with your friends, you do that. You find a way to have conversations with your friends to say, well, so-and-so saying this in this class and -and so-and-so saying that and professor, this is disagreeing with noted authors that, and we're going to sort it out because we actually care. What's true? So all of us have favorite seminary professors, right? Do seminary professors have favorite students? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So besides Doug, do you remember some of your favorite students? Yeah. Uh, Doug is the only person I remember right now. (laughs) That's good. Good answer. Uh, So, Dan, you know, we're coming up to the the break here, and then we're going to ask you about what you're doing these days. But you've gotten to come visit me a couple times in Oklahoma City. I and uh, we had great times together. I, it was just, it's always fun to bring a professor in and get everyone else to see, you know, and expose you. And you preached at our particularization service. You preached just recently in um, right. June, maybe. And then we got to hang out and see a little of the city. And it's not, it's not a bad place, right? Oklahoma City's not a bad place. No. And I, I love visiting places one of the things I've done in the PCA is accept invitations and I don't really like planes at all, but I have learned how to work on planes and work in airports. So it's, it's tolerable and it's fantastic once you're there, whether the church is, I don't know, very familiar and very close to what I find to be my style or far away. I mean, I I love all of it and you know, you just endlessly meet interesting people and you ask them questions and you learn things about their life and their ministry. And it's very enjoyable. It's, you know, you ask 
I'm kind of warming up to what I to what I'm doing, but I've always been as a professor. I've probably always preached. Uh, I'm going to say at least 30 Sunday mornings in a year, mm-hmm. and probably, you know, if you count conferences, probably preach close to 75 to 100 times every year. Wow, I like it. Have you ever been to Albuquerque? No. In fact, when you said Albuquerque, I've wanted to go to Albuquerque for a long time. And I've been in New Mexico twice briefly, but, you know, like four corners, not, not the real deal, not the fun places. Yeah. Albuquerque's a great city. Yeah. Open invitation. Yeah. Well, um, you can preach for me. Well, uh, we'll, we'll, let's talk about calendars. My next free date is March, 2025. Wow. 24. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) Uh, Well, there's a reason for that. I'm going to be an interim preacher for a while at a church Mm -hmm. and I'm going to start that soon. So I can't take as many invitations for the next 18 months or so. Got it. Do you know where, where, talk about where that is? I will after the break, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, after the break, we'll, we'll get up to speed on what's going on right now. Thanks for listening to iHeartPCA. This is brought to you by Storied Publishing and White Blackbird Books. And we hope that you'll stick around after the break and we'll keep on keeping on. See you in a second. After his own image and knowledge, righteousness and holiness. After his own image. This podcast is brought to you by Storied Publishing. We publish books with redemptive themes. Check out our growing list of titles at storied.pub. Let us help you take your book from idea to a finished product that you can hold in your hands. Contact us today at storied.pub. How did God create man? How did God create man? Welcome back to IHRPCA. This is our podcast. We're talking about what's going on in the PCA, the Presbyterian Church of America. We're talking with Dr. Daniel Doriani, and he's been getting us up to the present. And so we were you were just saying that you're about to take a interim thing, uh, and then we want to hear what you're actually also doing. So however you want to meld those in together, go for it. Yeah, so probably the best way to say this and Doug, you know this, is that I'm a man of two worlds and and probably always will be. So I was a pastor and then I was a professor. And then even when I was a professor at college level, I was helping out at a local church that just had a solo pastor and I would, you know, fill in for him and do a variety of things because I just like that. And then I went to a covenant in 91, as I said, and, uh, Probably four years I was just a prof, and then four years I was vice president of academics and dean of faculty, which was a lot of administration and the privilege of hiring faculty. And I really love hiring people. I, I didn't know that at the time when I first had to do it, but I, it's terrific to build a team. And uh, then I was four more years with less duties at the seminary. So I was 12 years at the seminary, first time around. 
And the last four years, I was just a dean of faculty, not academic vice president, which is a lot less admin. And that's when I began to speak widely and fill in, you know, sometimes for two or three months or even four months at a church that was looking for help. And after, uh, you know, in the 12th year, I filled in at a place called Kirk of the Hills, which is my church, because the pastor was on sabbatical for five months. And I kind of said, man, I want to be a pastor. I just got this yearning to be a pastor again. And I'd been asked to be a pastor off and on. And I'd said, no, 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 I'm a professor. I'm a vice president. I'm, that's, not, that's not what I want to do. And I was preparing to give a lecture one day for the 12th year in a row. And I thought, man, life is easy. Just give the same lecture. Good lecture. That's why, that's why it hasn't changed. It's one of those good lectures. And life, and I get to take whatever speaking gigs I want. And I get to write books about whatever I want. Life is easy. And it's like God clobbered me inside my brain and said, yeah, and whoever said it was supposed to be easy. Did I call you to easy? <laughs> and then a church, Central Presbyterian Church, EPC, large EPC church, which really pres PCA in every, in every way, theologically, doctrinally, organizationally, PCA, but, you know, as history fell out, it was EPC. Uh, sort of persisted in asking me if I'd like to be their pastor. And I said, yes. And I did that for 11 years. And I really liked it most of the time, although being a lead pastor of a large church certainly has its challenges. And then, uh, then I decided it was time after about 11 years to go back to the seminary where I've been again for eight years. And at the seminary now, I kind of bridge, I get to teach a course called ministry formation, a first year course about ministry because I was a pastor for 16 years. And so I'm a logical person to do that. I do it with a man named Robert Kim, who also was a pastor for a number of years, and he's on our faculty. I think it's a pretty good course. And I teach Gospels, which, as you know, Doug, I love teaching. I do teach Greek occasionally, depending on the needs of the year it varies. And I teach things like biblical ethics and de facto electives on things like uh, theological topics. So I have a diversity of tasks. Most of the time I've been a, a vice president also, but I'm kind of a outside vice president. And uh, my main job is really to speak as an ambassador for the seminary. So that's kind of what I do. And I hang out with students and, and teach, but I do, I do go out and about a lot, as you said, Doug. And uh, so this is another prayer moment. And I'm not presenting myself as a person of deep and constant prayer, but I am, I am a person who, I'll just say God yells at occasionally and says, redirect, stop, do something different. Hmm. So about six months ago, I was reading 2 Timothy 4, I'll say quasi-devotionally, reading Greek and just meditating. It says, you know, preach the word in season, out of season. And I felt that God wanted me to take every speaking invitation that came my way. I mean, I felt that I was supposed to take every last one. And in a, an extraordinary providence, over the next 26 weeks, I got one invitation per week for about 24, 24 out of 26 weeks. There was one week when I got four and one when I got two. But it was like one a week, like, here you go. I'm giving you something to do every week. And it included some wonderful but also very difficult journeys like we're what like actually oklahoma city i mean i was supposed to get a straight flight to go down and see you and then they said oh we're going to take you through denver 
where there are massive storms. So instead of a one hour flight, it was like 19 hours to get home. And that, yes. became, that was one of a series of, of very unpleasant travels. And I began to pray, Lord, give me something stable. Can I preach in one place for a while, please, Lord? And then this church, Green Tree, uh, came by and visited me a little bit after I prayed that. And they, they have a wonderful pastor who's been there 23 years, founding pastor, 23 years, almost 24, Tom Ricks. And he's not retiring. He's doing something different for the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years of his, of his you know, full-time working career. And I know them, and it's a great church. And they have, they have some little issues that maybe are up my alley somewhat. I feel like I can help them. Um, so I'm going to do that. Dan, Tom is uh, you know, kind of an old friend of mine. I don't know, maybe friend is too strong of language, but Tom worked for uh, PFR, Presbyterians for Renewal, right. for a long time. He's on the board with PFR, and then it changed to, but it was a camp, camp ministry that I worked with. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did camps in South Padre Island, and they did them other places. But Tom was would always come to South Padre, and we hung out. And I actually talked to him one time about planting an EPC church in uh, Manhattan, Kansas, um, mm-hmm. of all places. Just yeah. they didn't have one there, and um, I ended up not doing it. But Tom's a great guy, and Green Tree's a great church. It is. Yeah, I have some former uh, members that are are members there at Green Tree now, and uh, maybe I'll get to meet them. It's just it is a solid, solid church. It's it's EPC, uh, but its name is Community Church, and it is a community church. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I good. I mean, a that. larger church. It's not huge, but it's on the larger side for sure. Mm-hmm. And if you're in Kirkwood, Missouri, you probably know about that church. Mm-hmm. And so people of all stripes come. And I think it's it has loved its community well, and the community respects it. Yeah, that's exciting. You're also doing a podcast. So, podcast, uh, right? That's true. I have yeah. a, a center for faith and work that has three aspects to it. One is, um, by God's providence, it wasn't the plan, a kind of a job creation side to it and meeting with people to try to create jobs in the city of St. Louis, which has its beauties and also its difficult places like most cities. And there, there are a lot of immigrants here, and we aren't quite sure what to do with them. And so we have some, I've been able to link up with some Christians that want to make a difference mm-hmm. in the city. And that actually occurred through the second part of our ministry, which is training leaders to work out their faith in the workplace. Mm-hmm. When I say leaders, that would include CEOs and you know founders, but also people with informal influence. So, you know, most everybody who's been around and is gifted has either formal or informal authority. So we'll, we'll work with people who have formal authority and with people who have informal authority in little cohorts. And that sometimes will be an organization that's full of Christians or uh, for-profit organizations that are run by Christians and have a Christian statement of faith. They want help with that. So we do that. And the third thing we do is a podcast and I podcast, my podcast have been so much fun. I should, I don't know. It should be criminal. At one point Aquinas, I know we don't want to talk about this, but Aquinas said sex is always evil because it produces an excess of pleasure 
which prevents the mind from contemplating God. He actually said that. How he knew it as a monk, I have no idea. But if you would apply that to podcasts, podcasts are sometimes so much fun that they keep you from contemplating God and therefore they must be sinful because they're too pleasant. They're too pleasurable. You got to do, uh, you got to interview Joe Buck on your podcast. Yeah, Joe Buck is, um, Joe Buck is a friend. I mean, not like a close, close friend, but he was, he was a central when I was there and he would analyze my sermons from a um, active communication perspective. And he would say, I know what you're doing in that sermon. You did this and this for these reasons. And I go, yeah, you're absolutely right. That is exactly what I was, that is exactly. And he would, he'll, he would say, now, you don't say the same thing three times. Like some preachers, I'll say the same thing three times in a row. You say it and you sp- will split it out. You'll say it and you won't say it again, but 10 minutes later you say it again. And then 10 minutes later you say it again because of this. And I go, yeah, you're absolutely right. He's a very gifted man and a very kind hearted man. And uh, we had, we had fun. I, the interview was supposed to go 45 minutes and it went an hour and 20 minutes and it only stopped because he had to go to the bathroom. He just, <laughs> sh- he just stood up and shouted, I got to stop. I got to go to the bathroom. That's we great. So much fun. We haven't had him on ours yet, but I think that maybe later on in the season. <clears throat> And so what are you doing in the podcast? Tell us what, what do I do? Yeah. So I try to find people. So we've done about 25. We've only released uh, 13 so far, but we're going to release the next season starting December 1st. What I try to do is locate people who are using their imagination and deep convictions and their position to manifest their faith to love their neighbor. And we use the phrase change our corner of the world, which might be five people or might be 11 people. But Mm -hmm. so we have Jessica Patterson, your classmate, more or less, who is now the ambassador on a charge d'affaires, which means the ambassador, but hasn't been officially named to Namibia. And so we had this delightful conversation about what the state department does in places like Namibia and other places she's been, including Afghanistan, to try to bring sensible peace and cut down on drug trade and human trafficking, things everybody, not Republican, Democrat, they're universal issues. So on the one hand, and and the next uh, season we'll have Dan Allender, which people probably know, and maybe the first one, and Bill Haslam, who is a very dedicated Christian governor of Tennessee, who has all kinds of interesting things to say about faith and politics. But also have a um, an elementary school librarian who has the best part time, um, best articulated philosophy of children's books I've ever heard, hmm. and you know she calls the library not just for content but also bad art. If you give a book to her library and the art's bad, out it goes. Wow! Or if the art is not commensurate with the themes out it goes and she she watches the kids and she picks books not for second graders but for second grade boys who like x who are not great readers yet and second grade or fourth grade girls whose capacity to read exceeds their capacity to navigate the world and so they're drawn toward books that have themes that are too difficult for them emotionally but the pitch 
intellectually is right. So how do you negotiate that? And she has plans for all that. And that's why I interviewed her. So all kinds of people, politicians and, you know, athletes and you name it. It's great. Uh, so we'll, we'll probably try to like grab one of those and host it on ours. So our listeners can be familiar with it, but you should definitely check out working with Dan Doriani. It's, it's awesome. You're doing a great job. Like always, Justin's about to ask you his last question, but I want to say, you know, you just had a new book out, which everyone should also care about. It's also about work, but I got to tell you, it doesn't hold a candle to getting the message (laughs) back there in the nineties. Yeah. Still my favorite one, uh, (laughs) the captor method. Yeah. And uh, I just love getting the message. So any of those Doriani books would be well worth everybody's time. Thank you for working on them. Hey, can I just tell you, I mailed yesterday, I mailed off the second edition to the publisher of getting the message. And it was meant to be a minor rewrite. Somebody said to me at a conference, they go, hey, why are all the books you cite from the 90s? And I go, because I wrote the book in the 90s. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, that kind of was a catalyst. It was a friendly catalyst to update it. So I really, it's the same length, but em- embarrassingly, I cut out 20% of the verbiage, that just words that didn't need to be there. And I, it's, and added all this other stuff intellectually. It may be harder to read now. I don't know, but it's a good anyway, one. I finished yesterday. So you talked, you've talked a little bit on the, with us today about like beautiful things and admiring and appreciating things that are beautiful. And you kind of tied that in with what you're doing with faith and work. So like for our listeners, what's uh, one way that we can, you know, pursue uh, beauty and in what we do. Um, Oh, I love that question, Justin. So I think uh, the answer goes something like this. Uh, God has given, you know, there's the God will give us the white stone teaching of revelation. Mm-hmm. God has given us, I think, a core gifting to go to gift theology a minute. Core ability. It's just kind of there, you know, like my granddaughter, she just picked up the piano. Hmm. Her third lesson, we're talking about time signatures. I was listening. My wife's the teacher. She's a piano teacher. And there's a lot of musicians in my family. And she goes, okay, dotted half note. And she, she's seven at the time, at the moment. Right. And she goes, oh, I was wondering how you get the three. Like a quarter note is the one and the half note is a two and a whole note is a four. And I wondered how you got a three. Hmm. And I'm so glad to know it's a dotted half note. And who teaches this? This is just in her. And most people have something like that. There's just something in you that God put there. And then usually you delight in it. Right. So if you're, if you pick up piano right away, you usually like piano. If you pick up basketball or chess or, you know, taking apart car engines right away, you love it. And so my view is that that's where your beauty is going to express itself Hmm. in this blend of what you're good at and what you delight in. Unfortunately, Hmm. some people are good at things they don't enjoy. um, Like administration, for example, but ordinarily, Don McEnroe. Well, yeah, exactly. So, ordinarily, people delight in what they're good at. And if you're a good cook and you're good, I'm talking about my wife right now, she's a good cook and she has this sort of native 
take care of the neighborhood kind of mentality. And you know, she notices who's sick and whose wife died and who had a baby. And she just knows that. And then she makes these meals that are very healthy and tasty. They might not be gourmet, but they're good food. And she delights in giving the meal and the people enjoy it because it's a good meal delivered with love. And that, in my opinion, is beauty. Mm. That's social beauty. Yeah. So then there's many, you know, there's many forms of beauty, but everybody has, uh, I believe firmly that everybody has an opportunity to show beautiful things in their workplace. Even somebody, I'm going to dare to say it, even somebody on an assembly line who's just the best assembly line operator and can tell when things are going to go wrong in the assembly line, which I've witnessed, uh, there's a beauty in that person too. Even though we would say, come on, you're standing on a concrete floor, but what's going into the bottles is good. It's, it's a beneficial product, right? It's not something wicked. I do think there's a beauty in keeping anything going well, whether it's, you know, tennis or food or music or running a library or running a, um, you know, an ambassadorial office in Namibia. So our last, you know, second to last question, I guess, we keep adding questions to the end of our podcast, but is, uh, you know, what advice would you give to the PCA? So what's, uh, what's a beautiful thing the PCA can do? Or should you? So, yeah, my first piece of advice to the PCA is, can, can we just keep on saying that to be a spiritual leader is an awesome privilege? It's a hard privilege, no doubt, but it's an awesome privilege. Hmm. And the call to ministry, whether it's as a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a serious volunteer, a Bible study leader, discipleship leader. These are beautiful, powerful privileges. And don't let society tell you that the church is ugly. Hmm. And then along that line, sort of you may say the flip side of that would be, and so don't follow society, please, when society says, Hey, Trend of the Month Club, join our Trend of the Month Club. We're going to have a Narcissist Anonymous discipleship group because everybody's talking about narcissism these days. Well, maybe they shouldn't be talking about narcissism as much as they do. And please, let's, can we please stop talking about authenticity? Because authenticity is actually a completely secular, anti-Christian concept in its origination, which means, you know, choosing your own way of life. And then we say, well, that kind of sounds like sincerity. Well, it does kind of sort of sound like sincerity, but it's not the same. Hmm. And I'm not trying to be the word police, but just don't follow trends, especially when they're kind of Christian, when they can be assimilated to Christian notions, that's when they're really dangerous. Hmm. You know, be careful not to follow whatever's cool, not to try to be hip in society by following society follow the lord and if it's unpopular great you're being faithful and if you know if sometimes you're on to something before others are and you become the leader instead of it's better than trying to catch up and say me too me too i agree with everything you say yeah. be bold 
It's good. Thanks, Dan. That's a good word. Now, I mean, much more importantly is this last thing we got to talk about. Your advice, follow it or not, I don't know. But we're trying to figure out what the best PCA in the A is. Uh, now, I know you've listened to all the PCA, iHeart PCA podcasts, and we always say yes. the theme song we're the best PCA in the A. And then someone called me and said, you know, really, I don't know. How do you determine that? You know, it's like we're the world's greatest whatever. And so we're going through other PCAs, PCA, PCA named acronym. Yeah, yeah. And so this week we are talking about, I want to get your feedback. Justin knows it's coming. The Pro- Procrastinator Club of America. Yeah. Past Procrastinator Club of America and our our uh, our criteria, and you can influence Justin and I. Justin's tends to give low scores. I'll I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, uh, so we're each. They're like, you know, ten points for each category. There are five categories, so it's a combined score of a hundred. Okay. And is it interesting to me? Is it interesting? Is it interesting to others? Would I join it? Do they have a good logo and do they have a good website? Now, you know, you may not be able to do the logo on a website. And I will jump the gun on this one and say, I can barely find a website. (laughs) Because they procrastinated and didn't do it. (laughs) I certainly cannot find a logo. But in in reverse order, the procrastinators.org website looks like it was created in 19... 92 when websites were first created. So I'm going to give that a 10. No, no, no. What you have to do is mark them on their failure to upgrade, which shows they keep procrastinating on the upgrade. You got to give them a one. Oh, that's a good point. But that they're procrastinators. Okay. So it is an interesting, you know, put off today what you can do tomorrow and all that. Right. Uh, They have a shtick going, which is delightful, but I don't know how to judge this one. Justin, well, what do you think? Well, their their website is terrible. It's just awful. <laughs> like it it it's worse than having a website in a lot of ways. Like, <laughs> but it does have like information that's interesting to me. And the overall concept is super interesting. Like I would totally join this club because like I, I might be like their founding member. Like no, 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 but you'll, you would join it, but you're not going to get around to it. Yeah, tomorrow. Well, until the chaos monster shows up, and then I'm going to get on it and join. Um, so I, I like the idea of it, Doug, but there is no logo, and the website's horrible. So th- those are bad scores. Okay, Dan, what do you think? How would you advise us on this one? You've already well, given a couple good thoughts. So I, I trust Justin. Therefore, I give a zero on the website and a zero on the logo. Would I join? I would certainly not join. If I wanted to join, I wouldn't get around to it, and I don't want to join. So that's a zero. Number two, is it of interest to others? Absolutely. It is of interest to many people. Um, serious point, I'm, I poll people on the question, are you workaholic or are you lazy? And I have noticed a shift toward lazy in recent years. So that, get, that gets them about an eight Maybe a seven because they're pandering, though. (laughs) 
And then is it of interest to me? It is a theoretical interest. I'm one of those people that can't go to sleep until I answer all the pertinent emails of the day, which is one of my great flaws in life. And I certainly am willing to stay up till one o'clock to finish a task so I can, I'm about as far away from procrastinators you can get to, to, to the point of that it's a serious flaw. Right. So of, I guess I'll give it a 1.5 because maybe I can learn something from them. Like maybe I can learn how to procrastinate a little, but they don't even work on it. So they've never put down their rationale. So I'm going to put it back down to a zero. Wow. I can't learn from them because they never give their rationale because they're too lazy. So they get a seven out of 50. They get four zeros and a seven. Oh, what do you think? Was that your score, Justin? Are you going to go with no. I'm going straight tens except for the website and logo. So I'm a 30. I'm all, I think it's, I think it's super interesting to me. It's super interesting to others. And what's the third one? Would I join? I totally would join. No, you wouldn't because you'd procrastinate. <laughs> okay. I'm going to get about a 20 because I'm, I'm delighted at the idea. Uh, the whole concept of the terrible website, I think it's wonderful. <laughs> It's the opposite of what anyone would, would want to do, and they haven't updated it. It's ironic. So, yeah, the irony is great. I, I am not a procrastinator. It's pretty much, although I do need to go get this key that I left at the uh, the yoga studio a week ago. Oh, okay. In the <laughs> podcast time. It was actually an hour ago in real time, but... um. Yeah. So, I, but I'll probably go get it. I'm not going to not get it, right? So, there's just some things. Did they find it? Yeah, they found it. Oh, this is continued so, from our last week's podcast, but they found the so, key. I'm going to say that Doug has persuaded me to give them a 10 on their website <laughs> because of the irony. I, I missed that. So, I'm going to give them a 17. And then I'm going to say that I do procrastinate on things like blood work. I've got you know, a, an order for blood work in my car for seven months now. Wow. And I almost drive by the blood place every day. It's like a half mile out of my way to work. And it's just, uh, I don't want to get blood. So I'm going to move up two more points, give them a 19. Wow. Okay. See, you're pretty close to both of us, really. Okay. Well, I'll go down to 15 then. <laughs> okay. So uh, that's better than a lot of other ones, although it's not as high as the Porsche Club of America at this point. That is our going to be hard to dethrone them. So I'm going to have to do some work on what, what would be even better. Can Thank I, can I suggest listening. a group? Can yeah. I? Su- so, um, well, no, the- you got to text it to me. You can't say it out loud. On the- no, I'm saying it out loud right now. It's the porcupine chasers of America. Oh. Is that a Puxatani thing? No, no, I just made it up. Yeah. That's going to be a hard one to catch. <laughs> Well, see, it would be dangerous to catch up to catch a porcupine. That's the idea. Dan, thank you for joining us. We really loved having you on. I'm I'm so thankful for you. You were a great six-week Greek teacher. Oh, thank you. And just continued going from there. Thank you not only for being a professor, but a friend. Um, coming to visit me, and we've had great conversations. But you're doing amazing things, and I hope all of our listeners... The millions all over the galaxy will uh, tune in to your podcast as well, and you'll get a bump up, you know, in the standings and get your books. And of course, you have classes online at Covenant Seminary, and I'm sure people can find your sermons 
from the past and you, people can follow you as you preach at Green Tree, which I would say would be a delight to anyone if you're looking to listen to some great expositional teaching. Joe Buck might have some words of wisdom to say, but we might have some words of wisdom to tell him, right? Yeah, that's right. Hey, it's been great to be with you, Doug and Justin. Nice to uh, to meet you longer than the last time, which lasted about 30 seconds, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And, uh, of course, you can always like our podcast and share with others. You can uh, get connected into our universe, and that would be great. So appreciate it. Talk to you next time.